Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. We are continuing our series through the Bible, and we're going to be in the Bible um, all year long. And aren't you glad you go to a church that teaches the Bible? Actually, that's kind of a big deal. So, um, But listen, today, as I was preparing for this, as, as last week we were looking at the tabernacle, I sensed the Lord just speaking to me to lean in a little bit for some of you today. It's for all of us, but I believe for, for some of you particularly, you were going to be really you're going to encounter the grace of God today in a way that maybe you haven't in a long time. And I want to spend some time in the tabernacle. And if you're unfamiliar, if this is your first time, we have been walking through the Bible starting in Genesis all the way through. And we are in Leviticus right now. And we wanted to identify the areas in the scriptures that are, that are key. They are, they are major events that point to the heart and the purpose of God. Many times we lose the heart of God as we read through the scriptures. It's very easy to do, especially when you're in a book like Leviticus. And you say, wow, a lot of death going on here. A lot of sacrifices going on here. But the key as we look back now to the Old Testament as you look through the filter of Jesus, you see things of what God was doing and saying that really minister to you. And so that's my heart for you today. And so I want to lean in a little bit as I spoke some of last week about the sacrifices in the tabernacle. And as you look at all these things, you, you go, I, the, the Israelites were instructed by God to have priests who would minister in this tabernacle, this tent. And later, they were instructed to also do the same in the temple once, once they were in, in Jerusalem. But they needed to sacrifice animals to provide forgiveness for the ones who had sinned. And it provided forgiveness. And what provided forgiveness was the blood of an animal. And so we, we read, depending on what your, your sin was or how you broke the law of, of what was laid out, would be then determined what sacrifice would need to be given. And so depending on that, either blood of these animals would need to be sprinkled, need to be poured, need to be placed on something. Now for us today in the, in, in the year you know 2022, all this blood stuff is, is gross. It seems gross. Most of us have no idea of what was happening in this moment. Most of us, it's weird to think, what is up with all the blood? What's the purpose? What's the point? Most of us, really, we don't even know how, how, how the, uh, when you think about the process of the tabernacle, and you think, we think, oh, that's gross. Well, the reason it's gross, one, because we are far removed from how you got your meat in your refrigerator. If your doctor told you, hey, listen, you need to eat less red meat, and you just couldn't because you were addicted to that fat old filet that you like, you know how you could break that? Go spend a day at a slaughterhouse and observe the process of how your hamburger became hamburger. Same goes for hot dogs as well, except for Hebrew nationals. 
because they do answer to a higher power. So that's important. <laughs> but the process of slaughtering animals, it's a, it's a bloody, terrible sight. There's nothing glamorous about it whatsoever. And it, it's this, this same bloody, terrible sight that the priest were doing on behalf of the Israelites. And it's for the purpose of what God said, when there's a sin, there needs to be a sacrifice. There needs to be blood. And this was a daily thing. A daily thing that these priests did. Every day, this is what they did. I'm so glad I'm called to minister in the house of God on, in the new covenant versus the old covenant. I would not want to do this every day. Blood flowed, stained altars and stained wood and st stained stone. And year after year after year, sacrifice after, after carcass after carcass after blood, sizzling fat, the smell that's going on in, in, in the tabernacle. It was horrific. And it was all based around blood. These people that God has called from Abraham to be the people who would eventually bring the Messiah and Savior of the world, they, their whole system, their whole lives were based around blood, based around sin. When you sin, there needs to be blood. The priests have to, have to give it. And it was always ingrained in them. Sin, then blood. Sin, then sacrifice. Sin, then the priest. Sin, then the tabernacle. It was all about blood. And they would offer it year after year. Then in 950 B.C., Solomon's temple was built. The plans were drawn up by, by his father David and they're in Jerusalem now. Same thing, sacrifices for sin continue year after year. The Israelites, this was their culture. They grew up with the, with the bleating, the gagging, the gasping, the screaming, the dying as priests slit the throats of animals and poured the blood and just buckets of blood, buckets of splashing and flicking and all over the place. You get it? All right, all right. And day after day after day, they were reminded what was required of their sin. Day after day. And there's a reason for this. And we find that reason in Leviticus. That when a person found themselves violating the law that God gave through Moses... Their fellowship was broken with God. And in order for that to be restored, again, there needed to be a sacrifice. And depending on the offense, be a dove, a goat, a heifer, a bull, a pigeon, a sheep. In Leviticus 4, I want us to look at this for a moment, and it, it lays out what was required. This one in particular is about if a priest sins, then what? But this is what it says. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commands about things not to be done and does any of them, it is the anointed priest who sins or if it's anointed priest who sin, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he, the priest, shall offer for the sin 
that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish, say without blemish. So your best one to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull into the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. And this is the tabernacle here. And he would, the priest would lay his hands on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it into the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood Sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary. And the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, a fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. This is all about blood. And you're to... Choose a bull, lay your hands on the bull, imparting what, what that's doing. You're, you're, you're imparting your sin, the sin of the community or your sin on that bull. You are, you, you, are, you are discharging that sin in that bull and then killing that bull for the punishment of the sin that was imputed to it. And this old, the Old Testament is this constant over and over and over, this, this thing about blood. And unless you understand, you just think, man, this is bizarre. And it might even still be bizarre, even if you do understand. You th- I don't, I, but you've got to connect these dots as we look back to the Old Testament, to the Old Covenant, now through the lens of Jesus, now through the lens of the cross, we see these things. And there we are, we're looking at the types and shadows of the tabernacle. And they're, they're, they're little things that are, that are pointing to something better to come. That it's a copy, it's a type, it's, a, it's not the real thing. It's, it's not what's really taking sin away. But it's pointing to something that actually will. And so in the old covenant, when you would make sacrifices for your sin, it never took away your sins permanently. Never did. You found relief for a moment, but then you went away, and what happened? You sinned again. So then, bring another animal, shed more blood, and then you bear the cost of that animal. Year after year, if you were in the old covenant, you were reminded of sin, always about sin, sin and sacrifice, sin, sin, sin. Sin, and you were totally conscious of sin all the time. Which means you were always thinking about sin. Which means you were always obsessing about sin. Like if I told you right now, hey, listen, don't think of tacos. What are you going to think about? Tacos. That's what you're going to think about. Don't sin. If you, every day, don't sin. Don't sin. Don't sin. Don't break the law. Don't sin. Don't sin. Don't sin. Don't sin. You are focused on sin. Why? What's with the blood? Well, this is the key verse. Leviticus 17. Says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Everybody say the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. 
for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. When you look at this word atonement, what it means is simply this. And when you break it down, it means this. It means to be at, it's at one meant. In other words, something happened that broke the fellowship of God. You were no longer at one with God. And by the shedding of blood, it gives atonement. That the life of this animal paid for your sin. But it didn't pay the full penalty. It couldn't. But it was for this, at one meant to be one. So here's the understanding. There are two separate parties. They are divided. There's something in between. And by the shedding of blood, the two parties become one. They were separate. They were at odds. There was something there. And in the shedding of blood, they're now together. Where there was a division between the two, the division is removed now because of the blood sacrifice, and they are now reconciled. But in the old covenant, it wasn't permanent. It's temporary. But all of this was initiated by God because humanity was marked by sin. Again, was the law given to keep us from sinning, or was the law given because we had already sinned? Did thou shall not lie? Was it given because it would keep us from lying or was it given because we had already lied? We are already guilty. And so again, why the blood? Why the sacrifice? Why the requirement of God? It was all for this purpose of atonement. And it was all centered around the blood. The Jews were so familiar with the need for blood. They understood it. The ministry of the priest was to kill the animal, pour out the blood, kill an animal, pour out the blood. During Passover, Jerusalem, at Passover, all these animals were, were killed. If you were an animal lover, you were just, you were up the creek without a paddle. I'm just telling you. You just heard it all the time. During Passover, blood would pour out of the temple, gush out. And the priests would kill, pour the blood out, place it in the right place, and you did it again and again and again and again. What was going on here? God was making a point. You see, the scriptures tells us why all the blood all the sacrifices, it's because and it's for our atonement. The scripture points to something, though, in the character of God. Why? Why does God have to do this? If God's loving, why does he just love us and just release us? And there's, why does there have to be a penalty for my sin? Why does it have to cost me an animal? Why, why can't he just do it? And because there's something and the character of God is surrounding this blood sacrifice and the atonement. And these two things in the character of God are this. It is God's love and it is God's justice. That this sacrifice points to these two things. God's love and God's justice. God's love for you and God's justice. To the sin that we have all committed. There's a penalty, a payment 
Most of us would be familiar with the love side. We're familiar with God so loved the world that he gave. We're familiar with that. But we're not really that familiar with justice. It's funny, in the body of Christ or in church, most people fall within one or the other. They love people and don't really talk about the justice or sin. And so there's this, that's just, God loves people. All, it doesn't matter. Your truth is my truth. We love, 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 love. Everybody's happy. Love, love, love. And there's no truth that actually speaks to the justice. Or people are all justice and they're cranky and nobody wants to be around them. It's the balance. It's, the, it's both. That God is a God of love and he's a God of justice. So yes, the love of God is is present. The love of God is what provided. The reason why the sacrificial system existed in Leviticus was because God loved people. He was was doing something as he he was getting as close as he could, giving them as much relief as he could while honoring his character of love and justice. But there is this justice that's required. And that justice is is this, that God, now out of his love, he's a God of justice. He finds a way that the penalty due to us for our sins would be paid. And we could not be, because we weren't at one with him. And so we could not be at one with him unless the penalty for our sins was paid in full. So in the old covenant, in Leviticus... This is what they were told to do. They were to kill an animal, which represented the penalty that they deserved, but the penalty was on the animal now. But here's the reality. The blood did not remove the sins of the individual. It covered them, is what Scripture says. Covered them but it still remained. So if this was covered, it would still be there, but it was covered. It was temporary. And it was temporary until they sinned again. And then guess what? Get another animal, pour out more blood. Covered, but temporary. Hebrews 10 says this about the law of Moses. It says the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. So there was something more that's happening. There was something that this was pointing to, but it wasn't the reality. This was a, this was a, 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 it was a type, but it wasn't the real thing. It was a copy. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. Now look at this, they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. They were never able to do it. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all and their feelings of guilt, look at this, would have disappeared. What this means is though they knew it was covered, but they weren't relieved of the guilt from it. 
They carried the shame. They carried the guilt. It piled up year after year after year after year. And really what was happening from the moment that sacrifice was instituted by God, this is what happened. Every sin that was committed was pushed forward to the next year. So when there was a sacrifice for the sin, it was pushed forward to the next year. And year after year, the sins were pushed forward by the sacrifice. Forward, forward. But they were never paid for. So here in Leviticus, all the way up to the temple in Jerusalem, after every bucket of blood, after every carcass, after every animal, after every offering, after time and time and time again, it never takes away sins, covers, doesn't remove. And God provided a temporary way for this people group that he was preserving through the law to keep them pure, to keep them from being seduced from the other nations. He, was, he, he had marked them for one purpose, to bring forth the one who would ultimately be the sacrifice for all of us. But God in, this, in the old covenant, temporarily, ceremonially, all these things happened, the penalty for sin was never paid. Can you imagine never, never finding relief, never finding forgiveness, knowing that you, are, you have sinned and though it's covered, it's pushed forward. The guilt and the shame riddles you. And as we continue to read in the Old Testament, as we have the filter of Jesus, we're able to see really the beauty of the character of God and his love and his justice. Both love and justice, that was the ultimate cause of atonement. That's why atonement existed. And I know a lot of people try to determine which one is more important and well, it's this and this and we have our scriptures that back up our position. But the reality is this, it's, it's actually not very helpful because without the love of God, God never would have taken any steps to redeem or reconcile or even put a system into, into place. But if it wasn't for the justice of God, if it wasn't for his justice, he would not also, he wouldn't have sent his son to pay the actual penalty for our sins. So the reality is this, that Christ on the cross, when he was the fulfillment of every, every sacrifice, he was the perfect one. When he proclaimed on the cross, it is finished, what he was saying is the penalty for sin has officially been paid in full. So remember this, every year, the sins were pushed forward because of the sacrifice. Every year, forward, forward, forward. And every sin that had ever been committed and ever will be committed were put upon Christ on that cross. And when he says, it is finished, it was, it's paid, it's done. There is no more sacrifice needed. It's over. And the love of God and the justice of God are equally important. And we need to understand we are in the new covenant. 
Say, I'm in the new covenant with me. Say, I'm in the new covenant. What that means is you are not responsible to pay the penalty for your sin. And really what it means is you don't have the ability to do it anyway. Romans 3, 25 says this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. We receive, what that says, we receive the atonement because of what Christ has done through faith, not through actually bringing a sacrifice. Here's the the love of God right here. God provided the sacrifice for you and for me. We, didn't, we couldn't even provide a sacrifice good enough to meet our, to, to pay the penalty for our sin. We couldn't do it. God provided the sacrifice for us. Remember, if we go back to Mount Moriah, Isaac is on the altar. And the Lord stops Abraham. Don't sacrifice your son. Abraham looks over. And there's a ram in the thicket. And then Abraham names that place the Lord not did did provide, but no, the Lord will provide. Will provide. Again, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to to what God will do, what he's going to do. And he's going to do it better than anything we see there in the Old Covenant. So Abraham says the Lord will provide. Where? On this mountain, he will provide. And that is the sacrifice that was provided By God, on that mountain, Mount Moriah, when Jesus was crucified on that mountain, it was God, the fulfillment of God providing what? The payment and the penalty for our sin. So the scripture goes on. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, now, now, he's, now, now we're going to jump back to the tabernacle. In his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. The thousands of animals, the, 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 the ocean of blood, the burnt offerings, the incense, the, over and over and over, the sin was unpunished. And he did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, at the tabernacle time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So according to this passage, your faith, believing that Jesus took the penalty of your sin and he paid the price. You have faith in that sacrifice. You put trust in that sacrifice. You recognize you couldn't pay your own penalty of sin. And you put your hope and your trust. Jesus, I believe you did that for me. Scripture says you are justified. Justified. Everybody say justified. You are justified. But Jason, no, I'm not justified because I said, the Scripture says you are justified. Yes, but Jason, I, I, need, I need to pay the, I need, I need to have a little skin in the game. And that's what we think. I need to pay the penalty, but I sinned. Now, are there consequences? Yes. 
But that is, this, this is, we're not talking about natural consequences in our own lives here on this earth. I'm talking about the, the penalty for sin has been paid. And we think somehow that we got, we, we got to pay a little bit. We, we got to give a little bit. But what we're saying is, actually, Jesus, I'm not for sure if you paid the full penalty. I need to help out a little bit. And I know we don't do that. We don't mean, it's just our own minds, our own the spirit of condemnation that somehow makes us responsible. But here we serve a God of love and justice who says this, I made the way. I paid the price for your sin because I love you. I'm not requiring you to give me a sacrifice. I'm not requiring you to beat yourself and make yourself righteous. I'm telling you, I've already met all the requirements. I'm just asking you to put your faith in that. That's what's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10 says that Christ said, you did not, speaking of of Christ said he's speaking to God. God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Nor, look, were you pleased with them. There's this interesting niche of folks in Christianity that they, they, they don't connect these dots and they're, they are rejoicing in the building of the third temple in Jerusalem. Even give money to it. Talk about it. Now I understand it's connected to end time stuff. I get it. But the book of Hebrews says that to return to a sacrificial system, another sacrifice, it's like crucifying Christ all over again. It's like saying, you aren't enough for me, Jesus. How ignorant the church has been over the years that we have not understood the heart of God was to lay down the sacrifice, the temple, the sacrifices. It was, a, it was a copy, it was a type. And Jesus, the real deal, shows up and he pays the price for everybody. And then Christians go, oh, let, let's, let's build another temple and sacrifice more animals. We must understand the full and complete and total penalty for all sin of all time has been paid in full. We continue in Hebrews verse nine. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. So this is Jesus. God, I've come to do your will. In the garden, he said, Lord, there's a way that this cup can be passed from me. This was the moment he was talking about here. That every sin that was pushed forward year after year after year, he was going to have to drink that cup. And he knew it. He said, Lord, if there's any other way, Father, this could be passed from me. Let it be. But not my will. Yours be done. 
Look, I have come to do your will. And look, look at what, look at what Jesus did by his sacrifice. He cancels the first covenant. Everybody say cancels. In order to put the second into effect. The old covenant, done. The new covenant is here. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, bucket after bucket, blood after blood, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as the single sacrifice for sins, good for all time, forever. The justice of God was fully satisfied. How do we know it was fully satisfied? How do we know Jesus did the job? How do we know we, maybe we shouldn't have to help out a little bit? How do we know that Jesus did it all? Because God then raised Jesus back to life from death. He resurrected and the resurrection. So here on the cross, you're at Jesus. It is finished. And the resurrection was God's amen to Christ. It is finished. You're right, son. It is. Amen. Come back to life. The penalty's paid. Second Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, for our sake. Everybody say, my sake. And there's, there's in, in, a, in a church, there's me and there's us. For my sake, for our sake, he made him, who? Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Earlier we read in the requirements of a priest who would sin. He was to get an animal without blemish. Remember? Without the perfect one. And he was to lay his hands on the head of that bull. And he would impute his sin. Transfer it over. To impart, to impart his Sin in perfection into the perfect animal. And it is at Calvary that Jesus, who knew no sin, perfect, that God in his justice took the sins of the world and laid his hands on his son and he imparted them all Not because God's angry and mad and doesn't like you. This is a God who loves you and can't violate his own character. 
There must be justice. And he said, I don't, I don't want them. I don't require them to pay the price, which would be your whole life. He says, I will provide so that they can have my righteousness. I will become everything that they are so that they can become everything that I am. That's a God of love. That's a God of kindness. It's a God of gentleness. And he did it for you. That we would be the righteousness of God. How in the world? First Peter 2 says this. For to this, you've been called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued to entrust himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, on the cross. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds, you have been healed. Healed of what? Healed of sin. Healed of no more guilt, no more shame. You don't have to carry it anymore. You can release it. You can be healed from the acts of your own sin. For we were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. No more shame. No more condemnation. No more guilt. No more sacrifice required. It's paid. And we see the beauty, the character of God. There was a song published in 1772, written by William, William Cowper, and it's titled, There is a Fountain. And it says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there have I, though vile as he, Christ washed all my sins away. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God are safe to sin no more. Ere since my faith I saw the stream that flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. When this poor 
lisping, stammering tongue, lie silent in the grave. Then in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing about thy power to save. There is a fountain that flows with blood. And it's for us. And the Lord would say to you today, stop trying to pay the price for the sin that I've already paid. Stop. Martin Luther was the, the forerunner of the Reformation. Back in the day, the Catholic Church was very oppressive. And Martin Luther, part of the theology is that you would earn your righteousness. You would work hard and earn it. And, and he thought, man, if, if, I, if I can, if that's what I need to do, I'm going to do it. And he worked hard and he studied and he committed his life to studying and to, to denying himself. On cold nights, he would not sleep with blankets and he would, he, he would, he would starve himself and he, would, he, he just constantly punished himself. He would pray and he would, he would labor during communion and he just always was aware of his sin and he was all my sin. He was ripped apart on the inside because he couldn't, as hard as he worked to be righteous, he was reminded, I can't do it. And he wanted to be righteous and he wanted to be saved. And his career as a, as a monk advanced and he was doing good and he was, he was so passionate and he just wanted to please God with his life. Just wanted to please God. He would be known as the one who, they would hear him crying at night as he was praying, my sin, my sin. He couldn't get rid of it. His own actions couldn't appease it. And there was a decree by the Pope that if you go to Rome and you climb up Pilate's stairs, that somehow these were the same stairs that Jesus walked up when he was condemned in Jerusalem. And if you walk up on this huge flight of marble stairs on your knees, inflicting pain on your body, that then you could find a measure favor with God. So Martin Luther goes to the stairs and takes the journey to Rome, gets on his knees and step after step, inflicting pain on his kneecaps and his shins and he's bleeding and he's, he's in pain. And then a scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit hit him with his bloody knees and his broken soul and his condemnation. And the scripture was simply, the just shall live by faith alone. Not works, not actions. The penalty is paid. Have faith in what Christ has done. And he arose from there. And he is one of the reasons, yes, the divine hand of God is one of the reasons why we're here today. 
But it was that understanding that my position in God is I am righteous. I am justified. Though we may sin at times, our position never changes. And we never have to pay another price that's already been paid. So the Lord would say to you today, receive it and walk in it. Receive it. You don't have to pay anymore. It's done. You don't have to bear the weight. You don't have to bear the guilt. You don't have to bear the shame. It's been paid for. And so in Christ, God looks at you and says, justified. I don't feel justified, but you're justified. You're righteous. And that, my friends, is what's called the new covenant and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's called the good news. Amen? So wherever you are today, whatever you're carrying, whatever price you're trying to pay, for the things that you're ashamed of, for the things that you, you're trying to punish yourself from, you're trying to, I, I can't do that at church because I've done this and I can't, I can't go because I've done this and you're like Martin Luther. You're trying to punish yourself for the sin that you know in your own life. Lord says, just receive and allow me, allow me to give you your identity. And then from this moment forward, walk in freedom. Walk in freedom. You may have sinned, but it's not who you are. You can receive that today. You can receive that today, right where you are. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word and your gospel that ministers to us. Lord, I know in this room there were people here who were riddled with shame and guilt. They even think the things in their life that are going wrong are because you're punishing them for some sin that they committed somewhere along the way. Or you're punishing them for a sin that you don't know you're committing. They don't know they're committing. And so they're, they're still trying to pay the price and still think that you are making them pay for their sin. Lord, today in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I ask you that you would deliver them from the spirit of condemnation right now in the name of Jesus. That they would walk in freedom from this moment forward. Never again to consider that you would punish them, but only that you already paid the price and that now they would receive the grace and the favor and the joy of you today. For now, those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. And may they 
understand that and walk in that fresh and new today. The price is paid. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and you would like to put your faith in that reality of what we've just talked about, just raise your hand right where you are. Nobody's looking around. Just raise your hand to receive it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And let's all pray together. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my sin. God, thank you for sending Jesus to do it. And thank you for raising Christ from the dead. I receive salvation today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand today. Amen. Well, friends, let's, if we can, let's just stand to our feet. And if you gave your life to Jesus today, or if you want any information about us as a church, or how you can be involved and how you can serve, you can scan the QR code that's on the seats behind you and, and just see what that next step is. Also, at the end of service, our prayer team is going to be here. We'd be honored to pray with you. I love you. I want you to understand the God that we serve. He's far better than what we think he is. And he wants to bless your life. He wants to bless your life. If you can, I'd love to pray for you. If you could just raise your hands. Father, I pray that you would bless your people. To minister to them. You love them so much. And may you bless their lives, prosper them, lead them and guide them, heal their broken wounds and their broken hearts and their wounds. May they leave here today full of joy that you don't require any more payment that they can walk in the favor of you they can walk in your blessing they can walk in your provision they can walk in all that you provided not because of them but because of your son Jesus God we love you and we bless you today in Jesus name amen and amen